you want to grab your Bibles this morning to Genesis, there's so much in this particular next chapter that um, I'm going to kind of be in chapter 13 for a while. We're starting, we just finished chapter 12 and we're going into Genesis chapter 13. And I'm excited because there's so, so much, but I decided to kind of um, take a little bit from 12 and 13 before I actually jump into all of 13. And I want to talk, share with you this morning about the three altars of Abraham. Abraham built three altars in chapter 12, 1, and then in 2 in chapter 13. And that's what I wanted to share with you about this morning. So in verse 12, verse 8, we're going to read 12, 8, 13, 3, and 4, and 13, 18. And those, those three have to do with the altars. And it says in verse 8 of 12, From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the east and Ai on the, on, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Chapter 13, verse 3 and 4. Reads, from the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There, Abram called on the name of the Lord. And verse 18, so Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. Go ahead and have a seat this morning. The first mention of the word altar in the Bible is back in Genesis chapter 8 when we first read of Noah when he came out of the ark and he built an altar. And so the first altar that was built ever was by Noah. And it was pretty simple. It was just out of stones. And that altar was built to represent faith, gratitude, sacrifice and honor to the God who had provided. God had provided them security. God had provided them safety, Noah and his family, and they made it. And so Noah had built an altar. And the first altar that was built was built out of the rocks and the stuff that was left over from the flood, kind of like rubble and rocks and broken things that all got messed up in the flood. And these are like the altars that we build every day to our God. We bring all the broken pieces. When Pastor Adam said, those of you who want to come up to the altar, none of you came whole. You all came up broken. Broken in different areas, broken in different parts of your life. And you came, and you, this is my brokenness that I'm bringing to you. And that's what... An altar is, it's, it's kind of like a bringing all the broken pieces of our life and saying, here, God, this is it. I'm building my anxiety and my worry and my, my feeling of loss, and I'm building it all up, and it's going to be an altar, and I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to worship you. I'm leaving it there. That's what an altar does. And like Noah, Abraham would have used the same thing. He would have used raw Stones, stones not cut by man, not chiseled by man, but rocks that were untouched by man to represent 
a yielding to God's strength and not trusting in our own strength. And this is a very interesting scripture because in Exodus chapter 20, verse 25, it says this. God is telling his people, if you use stones to build my altar, use only natural uncut stones. Do not shape the stones with a tool, for that would make the altar unfit for holy use. God is saying, I don't want you to come in your own strength. I don't want you to get a rock and chisel it and make it really nice. I want you to come just the way you are, all messed up, all confused, all whatever you got. Just come. Just come. That's what I want you to do. Because if you take the time to start chiseling and trying to make a, a perfect altar for me. Nobody's going to get the glory in that. You're doing that for somebody else to see the altar. I want you just the way you are. I want you just to come. And so many times we wait. How many times have you heard somebody say, you know what, I'm not ready to go to church yet. What do you got to do to get ready? What do you got to do? You just got to come. No, man, you know what? I, I can't come. I, 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 don't, I don't have the right clothes. Who had had the right clothes when they first came to church? Nobody. I mean, I came from a church when I, when I used to go to church, you used to have to wear what we call the mantilla. You know, the, the un, and, uh, and what would happen if we forgot it? Guess what we would get? A Kleenex. And we put it on our head. And this was like way, way back. They don't do that now, but way back. Growing up and all my years of Catholic school, we used to have to wear a covering on our head. And when we forgot it, we, we just went just the way we were. We just throw a handkerchief on there. Put a little bobby pin. Okay, we're dressed. We're ready. We fit. But sometimes we want to get all chiseled and all ready God says, that's not what I want, because that altar is, would be unfit for holy use. See, our altars can be built from our brokenness, from our frustration, and from our fears. Bethel is the place that Abraham first built his altar, and Bethel means house of God. True worship takes place in the house of God with an attitude in our hearts of obedience. Obedience. Obedience is not just a feeling. It's not just that feeling when we're singing in worship, oh God, I'm going to be obedient. I'm not going to do that anymore. No, I promise I'm not going to do it anymore. And then you leave church and, whoa, you do it. It's not a feeling because, see, that's why you can't fall in love. You can't fall in love because love is not a feeling. It really isn't. You want to wake up to that person the next morning with their bad breath and their stinky socks? I don't think love is a feeling. You got to get past the feeling. The feeling don't last that long. You got to really get down to what love is. Love is persevering. Love is staying together when you, you're just ready to say, you know what, forget it. Love is, being, is what keeps a marriage together. Marriage doesn't keep love together. Love keeps a marriage together. You can't fall in love just like you can't fall out of love. You, you don't just stub your toe one day and say, oh, I fell in love. 
There he was. There she was. That's her. You don't fall in love. It takes time to fall in love with somebody. Believe me, it takes time. A lot of time. And then more time. <laughs> it really does. Because if you fall in love that easy, I guarantee you, you will fall out that easy. You can't fall in and fall out. You grow into love. You grow into it. Abraham was in the process of learning how to become obedient to God. He was in the process of it. God had told him, I want you to leave this place called Ur, and I want you to go to Canaan. Now, we cannot really enter into true worship until we start in the place of obedience, learning how to listen. Man, that's a hard thing for us to do. We hear, but we don't listen. We hear a lot of stuff. I mean, some of you, you got so many messages underneath your belt. You got so many books underneath your belt that you've read and that you've heard. But have we really listened? Has it changed us in any way? Has it transformed our thinking? Has it transformed our lifestyle? Are we doing things differently? Or are we still doing the same thing every day? Whenever Abraham built an altar to the Lord God, he would worship him. And every time you are to come to church, there is to be an attitude of worship. I want to talk to you about three altars this morning. The first altar is the altar of personal consecration. And that's from the first scripture in Genesis verses 6 and 7. <coughs> it says that Abraham built an altar in Shechem. Shechem means the shoulder. That's what the word Shechem means. It's a place to carry burdens. And this place, Shechem, was in between two mountains. The mountain of Ebal, which means barren, and the mountain of Gez Gerizim. I practiced this. Gerizim, which means fruitful. So you have Shechem, which means the shoulder or the place to carry burdens. You have Ebal on one side, which is barren, and you have Gerizim, which means fruitful. Now, the Jews used to proclaim God's blessings for obedience on Mount Gerizim. Whenever they were obedient, whenever they got blessings, they would go to Mount Gerizim and they would offer worship. But whenever they were disobedient, they would look at that Mount Ebal and go, oh, okay, that's where it came from. I should have been worshiping over here, but I was disobedient. So that's what's happening to me. See, in Shechem, you can see both. You can see the blessings and you can see the barrenness. You can see what will happen when you're fruitful and you can see what will happen when you're empty. And the Lord promises to bear our burdens and to keep us from being barren. Where is your altar pointed at today? Is it pointed toward Gerizim or is it pointed toward Ebal? I know last night, my daughter and I, we got home and we were going through the mail. And, and the first letter I saw, I'm just going to tell that. 
first letter I saw was the IRS. Uh-oh, Val, they got gotcha. you. And she's like, what? And I go, you got a letter here, they got gotcha. you. She's like, oh, man. She's like all in a bummer, and I'm going through the letters, and I go, oh, the IRS again. And she's going, what? I go, this is a check. She's going, oh. And so she opened up the letter, and the letter said, you overpaid on your, on your tax refund. I don't remember. She doesn't remember overpaying. I don't remember her overpaying, but the IRS said she overpaid. So, hey, she got a big old fat check for overpaying because her altar had been pointed toward Garrison. She had, and I asked, the first question I asked her, have you been faithful paying your tithe? She said, yes. I said, then there's your blessing. There's your blessing. Because blessings come from all kinds of different ways. Wherever you point your altar, wherever your area of obedience is, that's where you're going to get blessed. And if you don't have time to spend at your altar on a daily basis, if you don't have time to read his word, if you don't have time to worship him in song, if you don't have time to pray. You're not going to know him. You're going to come and you're listening to me and you're listening to everybody else that comes behind this pulpit and you're like, wow, where did they get that from? Wow, God speaks to them? He hasn't spoken to me? Wow, I wonder how that happens. Maybe you need to bail, build your altar toward Gerizim. Because the altar is a place where you bury all of your idols. You, you know, there are many people who have left their altar and they're still here in church. You're here in church, but you don't have an altar. You don't have a personal altar. Because you, there's no prayer. There is no sacrifice in your life. So you're coming to church and you're hearing altars. You're like, oh no, that, that does not work well with me. An altar is a place where you are to offer sacrifice. An altar is a place where you're going to make your decisions there at the altar. To not have an altar is going to be able to bring the world into your thinking and into your habits. Sometimes our altars aren't bad, our idols are not bad things. But anything that's an idol is placed before the altar. Could be TV, could be computer, could be sports, could be people. Anything that we idolize, more important than the altar, becomes an idol. So what's an altar for? It's for sacrifice. It's for something to die on. You and me. That's what the altar's for. If we're to build an altar, we are to lay ourselves on the altar of sacrifice. The ugly, rotten, stinking, worldly self. Some of you might be saying, well, you know what? I'm not that bad. I'm really not that bad. And if you're one of those people that just kind of went through their thought right now really quick, I'm not that bad, then I want you to, I challenge you to ask the Holy Spirit to shine a light on your soul. And I think you'll kind of be amazed at what you find out. Some of us might be a little bit too proud, might be holding some anger, maybe some bitterness, Maybe disobedience. A lot of stuff can go on. See, there might have been a time in your life, maybe it's right now, where everything hits you all at one time. Your whole world just seems to be crashing in. 
I get phone calls all the time. I got one about 5 o'clock this morning from someone. And their world was crashing in. And I didn't even recognize the voice. And she said, are you awake? And I said, yeah. Who is this? Because I, I couldn't, because they had been crying. And, I, and she says, pray for me. Just pray for me. I need your prayers. And I go, what's wrong? And she just started to tell me everything that was going on, crashing in her life. Everything that could go wrong has been going wrong. Some of you may be here this morning and you're hurting, but you put on a real good show. Some of you may be even depressed. Your body's in pain. You feel like you can't call anybody at 5 o'clock in the morning because nobody would care about you that much. I want to let you know God will never, ever turn his back on you. And it's times like those that you need to repair the broken altar in your life and ask the Holy Spirit to come and to show you the areas that you need to work on. Now, I'm not saying that once you go to the altar, everything is going to be changed. Everything is going to be done. Everything is going to be perfect. There's going to be times when you're going to feel like, you know what, I don't feel like going on. I don't even feel like coming to church. There's some of you today that didn't feel like coming to church. Come on. Or was I the only one? Hello. Was I the only one that didn't want to come? Or did all of you want to come? I'm a human being. I have to bring the message. But you don't think sometimes? I'm just like, oh, I just want to stay in. I was playing with my dog this morning. And he was just lying there next to me. And I'm going, me and you, Prince, come on, let's just go back to sleep. <laughs> Sometimes you just, you know, the body just wants to just rest. Sometimes you don't feel like it. But if I did everything I felt like, if I did everything I felt like, I would not be where I am today. I have to push myself sometimes. Sometimes you got to push yourself. You do. You have to push yourself to do the things that you know you need to do, but you don't feel like doing. You didn't feel like getting up today. You didn't feel like brushing your teeth. I hope you did. You didn't feel like washing your hair. I hope you did. I, there's a lot of things you don't feel like doing, but you do them. You just do them. Satan might be telling you, you know what? It's no use. Just give up. Just give up. If God loved you, then why are you having all these problems in your life? That's when you need to get a hold of your altar. That's when you need to hang on to the altar and say, you know what? God, I need you. I need you. You are my help. You are my rock. You are my strength. You are my everything. I need you. I need you. Victory is going to come. Victory is on its way. Not because it takes the Holy Spirit time. It just takes us a while. We take a while. Do you know that you know how hard it was to push through worship today? There were some of you that were struggling, struggling through worship. And I and, and I could feel it, and so did Pastor Adam. We both kind of like, man, did you feel it? There's like people came in burdened today. You all came in with Heavy hearts, heavy spirits, and you know, you could feel it. When you're in the spirit, you can feel it. When you're not, you're like, eh, what's wrong with the worship team? They can't even get it together. It's their fault. Let me tell you something. 
The Holy Spirit doesn't back up and walk away from you. He is like the hound dog of heaven. He just stays on you and stays on you and stays on you. He never gives up on you. He that has begun a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of his return. He doesn't give up on you. When you start doing things that you feel like, you got that Holy Spirit saying, you know you're not supposed to be doing that. You know you're not supposed to be talking like that. You know you're not supposed to be acting like that. You know you're not supposed to be watching that movie. You know you're not supposed to be watching that computer thing. You know, the Holy Spirit tells you. He talks to you. We have the ability to turn him off. Like, uh, talk to the hand. That's what we do sometimes. But the altar is where our will gives way to his will. That's why Romans 12, 1 says, present your bodies a living sacrifice to be transformed. It's a place of transformation. It's a place where God changes you and turns you into what he wants you to be. It's a place where he molds you. It's a place where you become moldable because you are willing to be changed. You've actually gone to the altar and you're saying, change me. The greatest thing that happens at the altar is not that your prayers get answered, but that the transformation in your heart and your life and your mind takes place. When your relationship begins to change with the Almighty God. Billy Sunday, who was a famous evangelist many years ago, said this. One can no more be a worldly Christian than the devil can be a heavenly devil. You cannot be a worldly Christian. You cannot act like the world all week long, come to church on Sunday and proclaim you're a Christian just like the devil can't go out. He comes to church, he can't say he's a heavenly devil. It don't work. You're either one way or you're the other. The altar of personal consecration. Next you have the altar of family worship. And that was given to us in Genesis 12, 8 and 13, 3 and 4. This altar was built, as I said, between Bethel, the house of God, and Ai. And worshiping him and calling on him is what will bring forth fruit. But the other side, Ai, means ruins. And we need to worship together in our own families and in the house of God. This is why you came to church together today. It's impossible to worship here in church if you don't have an altar at home. If you don't have a personal altar, you're not going to be able to enjoy the worship here in the congregation. You can't. That's why some of you come and you're just there. You never raise your hands. You never clap. You, you don't even enjoy the worship. In fact, you come late just so that you could miss worship. What do I need worship for? I don't need worship. Yeah, you know why? You come late and you, don't, you miss worship because you don't have a place of worship at home. So it's easy for you to miss this worship here. If you had a place of worship at home, this is where you would want to be. This is where you was like, worship, oh, I got to get there. I got to get there. Because it's an extension of your personal altar at home. You're going to bring it here. And you're going to raise your hands in surrender and transformation. Say, God, do whatever. But if you don't have it at home, you can tell. I, I can tell who has it and who doesn't. Because there's some of you who continually come late. And that just says you don't got one at home. 
Because if you had one, this is where you would want to be. You don't enter into, into that anointed worship because you haven't learned how to worship God alone. You can't blame the worship team. Well, maybe you can sometimes. Sometimes. But you really got to blame yourself when you don't have an altar at home. See, when famine broke out, we learned in chapter 12 that Abraham lost trust in God. And he left the house of Bethel and he went to Egypt. He went to the world looking for an answer. He had the answer right there at Bethel. He had the answer at his altar. And he says, you know what? I'm not getting what I need here. I'm not getting what I want here at this altar. I'm going to go where I know that I could get something. And he went to Bethel. Some of you, you, you're saying, you know what? I'm here in church and I'm looking for a spouse and I don't see anybody. I'm going to Egypt to find somebody. And I'll get them in Egypt and then I'll bring them to church. Wash them up, cleanse them up. It don't work like that. If you don't get what, you're, what you need here in the, in the house of God, at the altar of God, then you better check your own life. Because it's here. The house of God has everything. You don't go to the Egypt to try to find what you don't find here in the house of God. Because Abraham did it. We found out Abraham did it just in the last chapter. And last week we talked about how he left the house of God, how he left his altar and said, you know what? I got to go and I got to go to Egypt to find out. Because they got food over there. And this ain't providing me the food I need. So when famine broke out, Abraham lost his trust. He went to Egypt and he almost almost came to a ruin. Only after, the Bible says, the first thing he did in chapter 13, he went right back to the altar. He almost, almost messed up his calling. Almost. He came that close to letting go the calling that God had put on his life to become the father of many nations, to become the father of all nations, to become the father of faith. He almost messed up. Why? Because he didn't have enough faith to stick it out. He didn't have enough faith to trust God at this house of God. He had to go back to Egypt just to try it one more time. One more time. See, famine is going to come into our life, and it's going to come hard. And it's going to come lean. Some of you are struggling in your finances. You're going through some lean times right now. Join the club. You can't look to other resources. You can't trust other sources than God. Abraham did it. David did it. Look in the Bible. They've all done it. And guess what? Every time they did it, they had to suffer the consequences. Instead of remaining at the altar and trusting in God, they looked to Egypt. They looked to the world. And then they always had to come back. They always came back, but they came back. Jacob walking a little bit with a limp. Abraham losing the respect of his wife because he told her how to lie. He told her to lie. Losing the respect of even getting kicked out of a country, not even a city, not even a town, getting kicked out of a country. Losing his self-respect, losing his name. You lose something every time you go back to Egypt. 
Don't think you're going to go back and try it out and you're going to be able to come back and it's going to be okay. Every time you go back, every time you go back, you're going to lose something. You're going to lose your self-respect. You're going to lose your name. You're going to lose something that is valuable. And it's a hard climb up. It's a hard climb up. I have never had to go back to the world to look for something that God has told me. Has it been tough? Yes. Have I wanted to? Yes. Have I wanted to leave this house of God because I wasn't having my needs met? Sure. You think I, I'm not human? I'm human. Sometimes the world looks pretty good. Sometimes it looks easier out there. This, this way is tough. This way is long. This way is difficult. And I want to say, you know what? It looks so much easier out there. Let me just go try this over here. But I already know. I, you know what? One of the things that I'm so glad that I have always, always tried to learn my lessons from other people. I've always asked, what happened? How did it go? I've always asked women who were older than me, how did you raise your children? What would you do differently if you could do it different? What would you do? I've always asked men and women who are older in ministry than me, what would you do different? I've always wanted to learn from people who have already gone that way. Why would I leave the house of God? Why would I leave Bethel when I have talked to so many people who have said, don't do it? Been there, done that, don't do it. You can't play both sides. You're going to lose something. Some of you in here, you've done it. Don't do it anymore. Stop. Stay in the house of God. Stay in the house of Bethel. It's tough. It's hard. It's difficult. It's a long, narrow way, but it's the way of blessing. It's the way of fruitfulness. It's the way of abundance. It's the way of prosperity. That's the way. This other way, you may get it, but it's going to sift right through your fingers. And you're not going to have it very long. Remain at the altar. Remain at the altar. Because if I look at my word, even though Abraham went back to the world looking for something, God graciously received him back again because he humbled himself at that altar. And the, th the third altar is the altar of ministry. The Bible says that Abraham built his last altar or his third altar in Mamre, which was in Hebron. Mamre means firmness. Hebron means alliance or working together. Hebron is an important place because it was the official place where David's ministry as the king of Israel began. And this is the beginning of where our ministry starts. This is where David's ministry started. This is where our ministry starts. And if you have your altar of personal consecration and you have your altar of family, church, worship, then it's easy for you to be able to go to the altar of ministry. 
The other two altars must be in place before you get into ministry. If you don't have a personal altar and you don't have an, uh, an altar here of worship, you can't have an altar of ministry. You need to have them in place. Uh, you, you know, just like the worship team. I'm picking on the worship team today. They need to be picked on now. A worship team person cannot play an instrument on the worship team, or they, let's just say they should not play an instrument on the worship team, whether it's their voice or whether it's an instrument, unless they have first built a personal altar. That's spending time alone worshiping the God that they're singing to and playing to. Unless they have a family altar, which is where you have, you're into the worship here in the congregation as you're singing and as you're worshiping. Because if they don't have that kind of an attitude, if you don't build an altar, then you're just going to be performing. And when you perform, it catches up to you. It catches up to you, not just up here in the worship team, but it catches up to us out there too. Because we perform. How are you doing? Fine. How's everything? Great. Performance. You get an A. You perform very well. But as soon as you get in the car, you're yelling at your kids, you're yelling at your wife, you're yelling at that driver that cut you off. Performance. Because eventually it's going to show. Eventually you can only play, you can only sing, you can only perform so long. Then pride will seep in. Just when you think you got it under control, everything gets out of control. The Bible talks in Genesis 13, and we're going to read into it more next week, but how Abraham and Lot, his nephew, had to separate. And there's a time when we are all going to have to separate from the lots in our life, from the nephews, the any unwholesome, hindering relationship. Because Abraham could not build an altar with that kind of a relationship with his nephew. He had to separate from his family before he could fully enter and claim the promised land for himself. And there are times when we're going to have to separate from unwholesome relationships before we can worship at this altar of ministry. Today, it might be just getting to you. It, it might be that you can't even tell the difference between who's a Christian and who's not a Christian. I know that there's sometimes, I'm really surprised at some people. You know, have you ever seen the Grammy Awards and the, and the uh, uh, all the, you know, Oscars or whatever it is? Mostly it's the Grammys. And, and they get up there, and these women that have extremely low-cut blouses and dresses and cutouts and all this, and the first thing they do is, I just want to thank God, my Savior. He is my he is my everything. And I'm looking at him as he, he's your everything. Why are you dressed like that? If he is your everything, why are you being such a downfall to the men in that room and to the TV? See, there are some women in here, summer's coming. And so, oh man, you know, I'm too hot. I got to dress really cool. 
And I'm surprised that some of the women, the way they dress, you can't tell the Christians from the non-Christians. You can't tell the way they dress. And that I'm surprised that sometimes when I see some women, they say, I'm a Christian. When you are a Christian woman, you do not dress to bring downfall to any man. You dress appropriately. Appropriately. Now, there's things we cannot do, men or men. You're not going to be able to change that. But you can change how you dress. And you, I mean, you're not going to be able to change the way they think, but you can change how you dress. And I think it's, it's, uh, it's important. I don't even know why I'm getting there now, but I'm just telling you before summer comes. <coughs> that, because that surely isn't anywhere in, in here. <laughs> but I just think it's important. I just think it's important. I, it's important for the men of God. Men of God need to respect women. And it's very hard for them to respect women if women do not conduct themselves as a woman worthy of respect. If you want to be treated with respect, dress like you need to be respected. And that's, a, and a woman, when you want to be respected, you know what to wear. Some women say, you know what, they go out there, there's nothing. There is no, you're right. The, the fashion today is extremely loose. But in between there, there's clothes. Just don't go for the latest fashion. That's all. You can't wear the latest thing because the latest thing is too short, too tight, too whatever, too revealing. They should be able to see that there's a difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. They shouldn't be able to, you know, your neighbor should know there's something different about you. Your neighbor should know that there's something, wow, what is that spirit you got that is different? You shouldn't be living the same lifestyle as your unsafe friends. Some say, well, you know what, I ask God for forgiveness all the time. And you probably do. But my question to you is, if you ask God for forgiveness all the time, then why is it the next day you turn around and do the same thing? For the thing that you asked forgiveness for the day before. We are to separate from the ways of the world. As God's children, we are to walk differently. We are to act differently. We are to talk differently. Is it difficult? Yes. Is it impossible? No. No, it's not impossible. You say, but dear, this is the way that I was raised. This is it. It's in my head. I, I was raised in an alcoholic, emotionally abusive, foul language family. Everything had a word to it. You couldn't even say, pick the paper up without using a, a cuss word. Any families like that? Okay, we're all in the same family. We all know what it's like. We heard it, it's, it's on the TV, it's in the movies, it's, it's, uh, it's in the workplace, everywhere you go. But we should be different. We have altars, and the altars transform us. The altars change us. The altars change our mind and our hearts and our spirits. When you don't have that altar, then you become just like the world. 
You know what really keeps us away from building an altar? Secrets. Secrets conform us to this world. And the things that we do and the things that we see, everybody here has got a secret. At least one. Some of you got a ton. But everybody has a secret. The movies, the TV you watch, the pornography, the gambling, the extramarital flirting. Secrets. All secrets. Maybe the person sitting next to you doesn't know that secret about you. But I know somebody who does. Watches everything you do. Remember, we are in the world, but we're not of the world. We're just pilgrims passing through. The road is going to be tough. It's going to be hard, but we're going to get through it. Together, we're going to get through it. Together, we're going to get through it. <laughs> Together. <laughs> to build an altar means that we need to separate and repair whatever needs to be repaired in our life. God has a ministry for every single one of you. You know that we should have more people in this worship team. Some of you know how to sing. Some of you know how to play instruments. Some of you know how to do a lot of things. We need more children's church teachers. We need more office workers. We need more people to help in beautifying the church. We have a lot of areas of ministry for every single one of you. But when you don't have an altar of personal consecration and you don't have an altar of family worship, then you're not going to have an altar of, fam of ministry because you're going to say, no, it belongs to somebody else. It's for somebody else. No, it's for you. It's for you. doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. God has a ministry for you to worship him and to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. But you got to have those altars in place. The first two altars had the good blessings on one side and the curses on the other because they had Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. They had Bethel and they had Ai. But the last altar was built on memory, firmness. It was built on a rock. And if you enter into ministry after building those first two altars, then your ministry to the Lord is going to be firm and it's going to be solid. Because if you don't build, if you don't have a personal altar and if you don't have a family worship altar, believe me, it's going to be too tough to have a ministry altar. You want to just say, forget it sometimes. You're going to give up too easily. From the time each altar is built, you need to cultivate it and you need to keep it going. You need to keep building on it and building on it and building on it. You start by building an altar in your personal life. Don't let one day, not one day go by when you don't have time with God. If you don't know how to do it, five minutes, just five minutes. That's all, five minutes. Some of you spend five minutes looking in the refrigerator. What do you do? You go to the refrigerator and you just stand there. What are you doing? Looking. And you wasted five minutes. Those five minutes you could have been praying. Those five minutes you could have been reading. Five minutes. For some of you who were like real time conscious, set a timer. Five minutes. 
Give God five minutes. That's all. That, build your personal altar with five minutes. And then after that, then you build your altar here. When you have those five minutes at home, then when you come here, you can worship. You'll be here early because you want to worship. You'll be here first in the second row. You won't be sitting in the back. You'll be up close because you want to worship. You don't want to get distracted. You want to worship. And then you want to get involved. You want to get involved in ministry. Because you have your personal time, you have this corporate time, and then you want to say, you know what? I want to get involved. I want to do something. I want to let my light shine here in the church. I don't know what God has called you to do, but I do know he's asked you to build a personal altar. If you don't have one, that's what he wants you to do. Secondly, he wants you to be here on time early for worship. To worship him, surrender to him, take everything in. And then he wants you to get involved. All those three. You could have blessings and you could have curses. But if you're built on the firmness of your altar, you're going to be able to go forward. Stand with me this morning. Three different altars. Your personal altar. Your church altar. in your ministry altar. Some of you need to build your personal altar today. Or maybe your personal altar has just, it hasn't been that important to you anymore. Maybe you've tried to say, because you don't have that personal altar, you've been looking to Egypt and saying, you know what? I could get what I need out there faster, quicker. But it's gonna sift right through your fingers. So those of you who need a personal altar time, this altar is for you. For those of you, secondly, who have struggling, who are struggling to worship here in church because of that, this altar call is for you. And for those of you who may not have gotten involved because you're letting somebody else, because you don't have that time with God, this altar call is for you. And as we begin to sing, I'm just going to open up the altars Light for you to come. You stepped out into darkness, open my eyes, let me see beauty that makes this heart. 